0: Reality Winner used to go to work every day in something called a SCIF. SCIF stands for Sensitive Compartmented Information Facility. She'd check her phone at the door, swipe a badge, walk through a metal detector, and go into an area where sound could neither come in nor go out. Most skiffs don't have windows. Some emit a kind of white noise to prevent eavesdropping. The world's most famous one? is the Situation Room at the White House. Back in 2017, when Reality Winner was 25, she worked at the Cyber Center of Excellence at Fort Gordon, an army base just outside of Augusta, Georgia. And the people she worked with there had developed a odd kind of ritual. Every Friday at 5 p.m., they'd all keep a careful eye on the news and brace themselves for the headlines.
1: Today, Wikileaks, the anti-secrecy website, dumped thousands of pages of CIA documents in a breach of If anti- you
2: go back to March, April, May 2017, you knew that right at that 5 p.m. journalistic deadline every Friday, there would be a new leak. ...based
3: on cyber tools that were stolen from the National Security Agency and posted online by a group called the Shadow Brokers. It's not the the
0: whole reason happen. for a skiff is to prevent secret information from getting out into the world. So working in one while watching leaks happen was a bit surreal. We were watching because
2: these leaks did impact our jobs too. We knew that they had made our jobs way harder. And so that was how we viewed leaks, as massive
0: inconveniences, massive setbacks. So it's safe to say that Reality Winner hated leaks, which made it odd that she would become a leaker herself. Much has been said about what she did and why she did it, in court and in the press. But the story we learned was far more complicated.
4: If people stop and think and let things unfold a bit and know the facts, it's it's like many things in life. If if people know, understand or appreciate the circumstances, they may not have the same view after they they know the facts.
0: I'm Dina Temple-Raston, and this is Click Here a podcast about all things cyber and intelligence. Today, a rare sit-down with reality winner, the NSA contractor who in 2017 leaked classified information to the media and found herself accused of espionage. She pleaded guilty and received the longest sentence ever imposed on a civilian leaker, 63 months. She spent four years in a Texas prison and was released last summer. As she tries to rebuild her life, the central question that surrounds her case is this. Did she do exceptionally grave damage to this country, as the prosecutors alleged? Or, as her supporters contend, was she trying to defend America's democratic institutions from our adversaries? Stay with us.
1: If you're looking for a daily guide to cybersecurity news and policy, sign up for the Cyber Daily from Recorded Future News. It serves up the day's most interesting and important cyber stories from our sister publication, The Record, and then aggregates all of the big cyber stories you might have missed from news outlets around the world. Just go to therecord.media and click on Cyber Daily to get all you need to know about the world of cybersecurity right in your
3: inbox. Hello, I'm Adam Fleming from the Global Story podcast from the BBC World Service. We are looking at Lena Khan, the face of the US government's battle to regulate big tech. She's already redefined the way we talk about monopolies. Now she's taking on the likes of Amazon and Meta. But who is she and will she win? The Global Story brings you fresh takes and smart perspectives from BBC journalists around the world. Find us wherever you get your BBC podcasts.
0: So we're about uh, 40 minutes outside of Corpus Christi pretty rural area of Texas so we're driving down a two-lane stretch of road that is just farm after farm after farm it's early February and after reality winner was released from prison last summer she came back to her childhood home in Kingsville Texas the destination is on your left when I pull into the driveway I'm greeted by a Dogo Argentino mix that looks suspiciously like a pit bull he's jumping at the window which, when a pit bull is jumping, you roll down incredibly slowly. Hello, are you a good dog? He's friendly. So friendly, he jumps into the car and then follows me inside where I meet reality. You already met Domino? yeah, he actually climbed into the car. Super nice to meet
2: you. Nice to meet you as well.
0: The house is on the edge of a cattle ranch less than 100 miles north of the Mexican border. Reality lives here with her mom and her stepdad and a collection of strays. There's Domino, we've met him, and Babyface, a three-legged American bully, and a couple of fluffy cats and a horse named Trouble. Her father, Ronald, was an academic. He studied religions and was always encouraging Reality and her sister to read and study and think critically about the world around them.
2: He used to take us to the library on Wednesday nights, and I would go to the reference section, and I would find all the A encyclopedias. And I would hand draw maps of Afghanistan, and I would trace the Arabic alphabet the way it's written yeah. in the yeah, encyclopedia. Yeah, yeah. It's not even connected or in the right order. <laughs> it's just the separate individual letters, like right. how you would never see them written. Right.
0: But I would do that and show it to him. It brought her closer to her dad. She eventually graduated near the top of her class in high school and was offered a full-ride scholarship to Texas A&M to study engineering. That was kind of where I
2: was headed, but I had always wondered about having a bigger impact in the world. Like, I was ready to be part of the world and have a mission. Um, So I called the Army recruiters the next week and basically said, like, hi, my name's Reality Winner. I'm enlisting to be a linguist in Middle Eastern and North African languages. And they laughed really hard. You know, they didn't know who I was, just, you know, just cold called them and said, I'm going to be a linguist.
0: What she didn't realize is that being a linguist in the military wasn't exactly what she thought it was. She came to find out that it meant translating intelligence. A career as a
2: linguist would be dark rooms with lots of computers and no person-to-person contact and how difficult it would be to actually deploy and actually understand combat up close, that it would always be from afar. What languages do you speak? Um, Speaking is kind of uh, (laughs) shaky right now, but Farsi, Dari, Pashto. I could come up with the Latin if I needed to. It's not much of a spoken languages, but I can read Farsi,
0: Dari, Pashto, Latin, and Hebrew. She spent two years at the Defense Language Institute in Monterey, and another year in intelligence training before the Air Force assigned her to work for the NSA at headquarters at Fort Meade in Maryland. Winner is not allowed to talk about what she did there. It's classified. But she'd later tell the FBI that she worked in the drone program, likely translating communications that helped drone operators identify targets. Farsi would help her identify Iranians in Iraq working with insurgents fighting the Americans. Pashto would help spot terrorists in Afghanistan. What she does say now, though, is that when she thought about using her facility with languages, she had something entirely different in mind.
2: I just wanted to pass out blankets at a refugee camp. Like, that's literally what I wanted to
0: do. I was heavily influenced by um, Franklin Graham's... She loved the Operation Christmas Child program pack a shoebox full of toys, track it, and see where it goes in the world. Like, if you asked me if I could do anything in the whole
2: wide world, what I would do tomorrow, it would be, I want to be the person passing out those shoeboxes.
0: She left the Air Force with an honorable discharge in November 2016, and began looking for a job in the nonprofit world, which would get her that overseas posting she so badly wanted but that proved daunting too. You need to have like a master's
2: degree, experience in country, and the ability to pay your way to get somewhere and live for an unpaid internship for a year before you even
0: qualify for the next level entry job. She didn't have a college degree, but what she did have was her security clearances. So she started applying for jobs with defense contractors, hoping that would eventually lead to an overseas post-it. I was just trying to fill in lines on a resume, yeah. And that's how she ended up in the skiff we talked about before at Fort Gordon, watching for the news at 5 p.m. on Fridays. We know now from press reports and congressional testimony that about two weeks before the inauguration, Donald Trump was given a briefing about what really happened ahead of the 2016 elections. U.S. intelligence officials showed him texts and emails from Russian military officers. They said they had a top-secret source close to Putin. But back in the spring of 2017, none of that was public.
3: You don't think it's phony that they, the Russians, tried to meddle in the election? You believe that? That I don't know.
0: And Trump was downplaying what he knew. Now you don't know or you do know? Well, I have a a problem. You have Podesta. So in the absence of concrete evidence, there were just lots of whispers. And some journalists, like Jeremy Scahill at The Intercept, doubted the meddling happened at all.
5: That there is a tremendous amount of hysterics, a lot of theories, a lot of premature conclusions being drawn around all of this Russia stuff.
0: That's from a podcast called Intercept It from the Intercept website in March 2017.
5: And there's not a lot of hard evidence to back it up. There may be evidence, but it's not here yet.
0: Turns out that Reality Winner had seen that evidence. A top-secret document about Russia's attempts to meddle in the election popped up in a classified messaging channel at NSA Georgia that spring. It laid out the details about a Russian attempt to slip into state election systems. The Russian hackers hadn't succeeded, but the document was proof that they had been trying. Winner said that given what was going on at the time, she and her colleagues thought the report was bound to leak. In fact. They were almost placing bets on how long it would take to show up in the news. And when it didn't appear right away, she said people were genuinely surprised. I I guess you were hoping that somehow it would just come out.
2: Uh, You're always waiting for somebody else to speak up. It's that bystander effect.
0: Since that time, so much has been said about Russia's role in U.S. elections, not just in 2016, but in 2018, too. But this was all before that, before former FBI Director Robert Mueller had been appointed special counsel to look into Russian meddling, before FBI Director James Comey was fired for wanting to pursue an investigation into it. All of that, that would come later. Reality Winner had seen all kinds of things cross her desk that unsettled her. But when she saw the report about a foreign adversary trying to strike a blow against democracy and possible interference in elections, it felt different to her. This felt to her like something the American people had a right to know.
2: Because how can we be informed citizens? How can we vote on these issues? Or how do we know what to ask of our representatives if we're getting clickbait from the mainstream media all the time? That's what I was trying to challenge and not necessarily take on the United States government and not necessarily
0: take on Donald Trump. According to Winner, she didn't go to work that morning of May 9, 2017, planning to print a document off a classified server, hide it in her pantyhose, and leak it to The Intercept. It just took on a momentum of its own. As she saw it, The Intercept would publish the document, make clear that the Russians were trying to meddle in elections, and then the American people would know. That was what The Intercept seemed to promise anyone who provided them
2: documents at the time. And the message that they were putting out at that moment in time between, I want to say, like 2015, 2016, 2017, was that they were the lone force holding government accountable through journalism and that the only way to do it was through journalism using
0: exclusive information. She said it never occurred to her to look into the legal ways of calling attention to this information, deciding to be a whistleblower, reaching out to a member of Congress with clearances, Retaining a lawyer to help her do that. So that May morning, 25-year-old reality winner says she made a rash decision. It was just like a
2: mid-morning spur of, this is what I'm going to do. Um, there was no higher level of thought to this. It was take item A and give it to the Intercept, and they're going to save the world with it. Because everything, there's
0: always a happy ending, Right. She was more focused on the fact that someone had called and asked her to teach a yoga class for them and that she had a CrossFit session scheduled. That was the
2: most important thing that I did that day. Wow. Um, And then you put it in the mailbox after yoga class and go home and don't think about it again? And don't think about it, yeah. Um, Well, not so much as that towards that Friday 5 p.m. leak mania, I would keep an eye on the news or I would check the news on Saturday morning to see what broke overnight and nothing ever happened. So by week three, I was like, "Mm, okay, whatever, you know, um, do you think it got lost in the mail? Exactly. They saw it got lost, didn't get anywhere and nothing would ever happen. And that, um, okay. That was a very interesting experiment. Um, moving on. Wow. So I, um... I mean, did
0: you have sort of a philosophical idea, like, well, maybe it wasn't meant to be? Yeah, exactly. It wasn't meant to be. If you're looking for other indications of how little thought Winter put into her decision, you just have to look at her travel plans. Over the Memorial Day weekend, she went to Belize. Her father had just died, and she wanted... Um, to climb
2: Mayan pyramids in remembrance of my father. And this tells you how much of a dweeb I am. I really wanted to scatter some of his ashes. But I was so afraid of going through, like, international customs with human remains in my bag. I was so afraid of that. I was terrified of TSA. So I didn't, I never did it. Three weeks after committing the felony that changed my entire life, I (laughs) didn't
0: even want to cross the border with two ounces of my dad. She certainly wasn't trying to hide. She was posting Instagram pictures, logging onto the hotel Wi-Fi every day, things that would have made her easy to find if someone had been looking. And she returned to Georgia as scheduled, assuming the decision to send that document to The Intercept was behind her, but she was mistaken. This is Click Here, and we'll be right back. When Reality Winner put that five-page classified document in that mailbox in May 2017, she committed a crime. There's no argument about that. But there was a way this all could have gone down legally. There's a formal whistleblowing process that includes lawyers and the legal transfer of government documents. And if it all works out, and that doesn't always happen, it offers protection. Go outside that process, like Reality Winner did, and it doesn't really matter what you're releasing. Technically, Legally, you're not a whistleblower.
5: You cannot release classified information to the press and be a lawful whistleblower.
0: That's Mark Zaid. He's probably one of the best-known whistleblower attorneys in the country. He's represented lots of government employees, and lots of his cases involve classified information. The two whistleblowers who sparked the impeachment hearings against President Trump, they were Zaid clients. He says defining a whistleblower isn't a moral judgment, it's a legal one. And as a matter of law, Reality Winner had options that she didn't exercise.
5: But if she had just gone over and given it in hand to a member of Congress who was authorized to receive it, then yes, she would have been very much protected. And no doubt that member and Congress would have stepped up to protect her if any retaliation had occurred.
2: For Winner, hindsight
0: was twenty twenty.
2: Oh, I definitely could have done that. Um, there was a complete legitimate avenue to go through. I believe that it would be seen as altruistic and that I wouldn't basically be have my character
0: so blatantly um, distorted. When I asked Reality Winner directly if she considered herself a whistleblower, she told me no. But it seems she had little frame of reference for this kind of thing. She told me she'd never even read about whistleblowers or people like Edward Snowden or Chelsea Manning, who both leaked information, because she wasn't supposed to. Because it
2: was so taboo to even go home and read about it. You were not allowed to read those articles.
0: If you hold clearances, there are rules on what you're allowed to see, even if it is public. Technically, you're only supposed to see information you're cleared for. So in order to make sure you don't accidentally read something you're not supposed to, You just avoid everything. Then, one June afternoon, everything shifted. It started a little like it does in the movies. One sedan pulled into her driveway, blocked her in from the front, and another pulled up from behind. And 11 agents in plain clothes came out of the cars, flashing badges. No FBI windbreakers? No, okay,
2: nothing, not even a polo. Like, (laughs) with the
0: logo on it, nothing official.
2: And very soon on in the encounter, I was very aware of the fact that they were armed. Even though it was concealed carry, like I said, they were wearing very light civilian clothes. It was June in Georgia, it was very hot. So I could see the ankle holsters and I could see the the holsters on their sides through their clothes. I figured out really fast why they were there.
3: Okay, well, the reason we're here today is that we have a search warrant for your house. Okay. All right. Uh, do you know what this might be about?
2: I have no idea.
3: Okay, this is uh, about uh, possible mishandling of classified information.
2: Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm.
3: Okay.
0: This is a scene from Is This a Room, a play based on FBI transcripts of what happened that day.
4: In reality, uh, we obviously know a lot more than we're telling you at this point, and... I think you know a lot more than you're telling us at this point. I don't want you to go down the wrong road. I think you need to stop and think about what you're saying and what you're doing. Because telling a mm-hmm. telling a lie to an FBI agent is not going to be the
0: right thing. Interesting thing to notice here. They hadn't read her her rights. We'll get back to that in a minute.
4: You know, again, we are here voluntarily. You're talking voluntarily. I'm not asking you, forcing you to do anything, but think.
0: That's what I'm asking you to do, is to think. Could you leave the house?
2: We don't know. We honestly don't know. We had a a seven-and-a-half-hour hearing about whether or not I was free to leave that day. They claim I could have, even though they had parked me in, I could have taken my cube, driven through the driveway or around their car, off, you know, over the curb, and driven away and survived. And I didn't have to answer their questions. And I didn't have to comply with the final part of the search warrant, which was to search me physically. To pat you down. Yeah. And none of them were gonna do it because they didn't send a single female to do it. It was 11 men. So technically, I wasn't free to leave because there was a final part of the warrant that needed Mm. to be done. But in court, they argued that they didn't have to Mirandize me because I was free to leave at any given time.
0: But the truth was, she wasn't sure if she could leave. And actually, she was worried about making any kind of sudden move, in large part because she had this new foster dog. I had just only had her for maybe two weeks, and she was
2: so hostile to males You have 11 men coming in and out of my house. And I had told them, hey, guys, she could be dangerous, but she's not going to hurt you, but she sounds very intimidating. And I honestly thought that if she had had a reaction to them the way she had normally acted, they would have shot her. And then I would have
0: become hysterical, and then they would have shot me. Hours later, a sheriff's deputy came and took Winter to the local jail. The FBI and Department of Justice didn't return calls and emails seeking comment for this story. The NSA could see that only six people printed that leaked document about Russia's hacking effort. So certainly the list of suspects was small. According to Winner and her attorneys, to check its authenticity, a reporter from The Intercept handed both the document and the envelope it came in to someone in the intelligence community. The intercept told Click Here that the document, but not the envelope, was shared. Usually, if a reporter wants to verify the authenticity of a classified document, they retype it. If you do that, it avoids revealing identifiable marks on a document that would burn your source. That has been pattern and practice for years, and that didn't happen in this case. According to Winner and her lawyers, It wasn't long before both the original document and the envelope were in the hands of the FBI.
3: What if I told you that that document folded in half, made its way outside NSA?
0: This is from the play again, drawn from the actual FBI transcript of what took place at Reality Winner's house that day.
2: I don't know that.
3: Made its way out in an envelope postmarked Augusta, Georgia. See, things are getting a little specific. Okay. Okay. It made its way to an online news source that you subscribe to. Getting really specific. Would you agree? Looks awfully bad.
2: It looks really bad.
0: With all this mounting evidence, the legal case against Reality Winner was strong.
4: The reason I haven't spoken before is I didn't want to do anything at all to uh, jeopardize reality situation one way or the other.
0: That's Joe Whitley, one of Reality Winner's lawyers. He served as U.S. Attorney on two separate occasions for the Northern and Middle Districts of Georgia and was the general counsel at the Department of Homeland Security.
4: I'm a conservative, uh, a Republican. Uh, I certainly believe in national security and maintaining our national secrets. Uh, but on the other side of the equation, people need to be defended. And I, I never felt uh, quite so proud as I did in this case of uh, being part of defending a Reality Winner in this circumstance and trying to achieve for her an outcome that was.
0: Reality Winner was charged under the Espionage Act, a World War One era law that made it a crime to disclose secrets that could harm the US or help a foreign adversary. Prosecutions under the law for leaking sensitive information to the media used to be really rare. They led to little or no prison time. But in recent years, the Justice Department has been cracking down and they saw Reality Winner as a slam dunk case. Not
2: getting caught or doing it super covertly was not a concern because again, it was, Even if they had found out it was me, I was just trying to help, seen as something altruistic,
0: zero damage done. The thing is, Winner didn't know exactly what damage had been done. Intelligence documents and classified information reveal more than what's on the page. Between the lines of what the document said, it could also give adversaries context that they might not otherwise have had. Among other things, the document was dated, which would indicate to the Russians how long it took the U.S. government to figure out what they were doing. These are all details that seem innocuous to the average person, but it could provide intelligence to U.S. adversaries. And reality winner must have known that these things had ripple effects. When the media picked up the story, they painted her as a traitor. Developing today, federal prosecutors say a government contractor from Augusta had plans to burn down the White House. A judge calling her a danger to the nation after prosecutors revealed handwritten notes about plans to join the Taliban.
2: Winner was stunned. There's no way they could paint me to be as anything other than an extremely naive
0: 25-year-old. And they did. And they got away with it. And the fact that this case was being tried in federal court in Augusta, Georgia only made defending her even harder.
4: Almost all of these cases, for the most part, are brought in the D.C. area, either in the uh, D.C. District Court, uh, Maryland, or Virginia courts near Washington. The judges there are quite familiar with these types of cases, um, and I I believe for the judges at least that were involved in this matter, this was um, uh, a bit of an education, certainly, um, They were not familiar with this.
0: There have been other cases like Winner's, but they involved high-profile people, people like former CIA director David Petraeus, who shared notebooks with classified information with his lover, but he was a highly decorated Army general. Sandy Berger took classified documents out of a skiff by stuffing them in his sock. He also happened to be Bill Clinton's national security advisor. Reality Winner, on the other hand, she was a low-level NSA contractor without those kinds of connections.
4: I think status um, across the board in our legal system makes a difference in terms of how people are treated. I don't know for sure, but I do believe that there was not really anything in reality's life that matched either Sandy Berger or David Petraeus's situation. She had no clout in that regard.
0: Berger and Petraeus got a slap on the wrist. Reality Winner was sent to a federal prison in Fort Worth, Texas. And she did four years of hard time, COVID time. Time when prisons were on lockdown, and what little you could look forward to while behind bars was taken away.
2: April first, 2020, everything hit a screeching halt. The entire prison went on lockdown which meant the only time we ever left the housing unit was to go pick up lunch on styrofoam trays, but you never left the housing unit, Um, which meant you didn't go outside anymore. You didn't see the sun, you didn't feel the sun, you didn't, all recreation, all exercise, all fitness and wellness was gone. So almost two full years, I had to go back on antidepressants.
5: I, I think she needed to be sentenced. I think she needed to be punished, given what she did.
0: Lawyer Mark Zaid again.
5: Uh, you know, what that sentence would have been, uh, you know, consistent with others would have probably been, you know, two, three years or so.
0: Both Winner's critics and supporters seem to agree on one thing. The punishment exceeded the crime.
4: I, I can't find a way to appreciate how she must feel about losing some part of her life, but at the same time, I think she is um, a person who's learned her lesson. Hopefully, we believe in forgiveness in this country and second
0: chances. You know, everybody's lumped you together with Ed Snowden and, and Chelsea Manning. How do you feel about that lumping? Um,
2: they spent so much time agonizing over this and how to do it right, and for me, It was not part of my identity. It was not who I was. Um, And it was not something that I had a lot of forethought. There was zero forethought.
0: After hearing from Reality Winner, her lawyers, people in the intelligence community, and national security officials, Winner's case seems to come down to two truths and something we just can't square. All of our reporting points to the fact that her decision to release the document wasn't something she had planned. And just about everybody agrees that her sentence was unnecessarily harsh. What we can't square though, is her claims that she didn't know passing a classified document to the media would have tremendous consequences. For someone with years of training and experience in intelligence, for someone who thought leaks complicated her job and didn't read about Edward Snowden or Chelsea Manning because it was taboo, she had to have known what would happen next. Or at least have some idea. And she did it anyway. So this is your first podcast together? I think so, yes. It must be- I'm sitting in the dining room with Reality and her mom, sky- Billy Davis. Davis is trying play. to set things right. With- she wants her daughter's sentence to be commuted or even to see her pardoned. She, she never meant to harm anyone, she never meant to betray the trust of her country,
2: and just how overboard our government went. I think that she's already paid enough. So this is a shadow box
0: that Reality presented to Gary and I. It was just as she was discharged from the Air Force. And so On the wall above the dining room at Billy Davis's house hangs a commendation. It's for the intelligence work Reality Winner did that she's not allowed to talk about. So it says the Department of Air Force, this de- is to certify
2: that the Air Force Commendation Medal has been awarded to Senior Airman Reality L Winner
0: for meritorious service. The certificate service. is framed in a shadow box with service patches from Reality's uniform. Airman Winner was appointed as the lead deployment language analyst,
2: producing 2,500 reports, aiding in 650 enemy captures, 600 enemies killed in action, and identifying 900 high-value targets.
0: Reality knows what she did was wrong. She did her prison time, and she's come out the other side. I'm really excited to be starting over in Kingsville.
2: Maybe not by choice, maybe because of these restrictions on me that I can't travel anywhere ever for the next three years. I have to be in my home residence every single night
0: at 10 p.m. These are restrictions she lives with as part of her release pardon or a commutation of her sentence would make them go away. She's not counting on either. She's making the best of Kingsville. I need to slow down and understand what it
2: means to be part of a community and be part of what's shaping people's everyday lives instead of looking to national level politics because that's not
0: providing the solutions for everyday people. The sorts of things she had been hoping to do overseas all those years ago, those dreams have to be smaller for now. Do you think you're happy? I'm very happy. You're very happy. I'm
2: reclaiming my life's story. There there are so many things that could make life better. I could go see my baby niece in North Carolina and be there for my sister when she needed me. Um, but right now, as it stands, I'm reclaiming my life.
0: If you had to do it again, would you have released the document?
4: No you, on the mark.
0: Here are the big cyber and intelligence stories of the week. The White House announced that Russia's military intelligence agency, known as the GRU, was behind the denial of service attacks against Ukraine defense agencies and two major banks in February. In an unusual move, the deputy national security advisor for cyber and emerging technology, Ann Neuberger, came into the White House briefing room just days after the attacks and announced that the U.S. had technical information linking the attacks to the GRU. Neuberger said the U.S. could see infrastructure run by the intelligence service was transmitting high volumes of communication to Ukraine-based IP addresses and domains. The cyber attack occurred as Russia has amassed as many as 190,000 troops along Ukraine's borders, and the U.S. says an invasion is imminent. As the conflict between Ukraine and Russia ramps up, New Zealand's top cybersecurity agency said the country should brace itself for cyber attacks. New Zealand's National Cybersecurity Center posted a security advisory on its website, comparing the emerging threat To the NotPetya attacks of 2017 and the hack on the SolarWinds management software back in 2020. The alert says even countries that aren't directly involved in the Russian-Ukraine conflict could be in the crosshairs. And finally, the Justice Department appointed the first-ever director of a national cryptocurrency enforcement team, and they'll focus on cryptocurrency-related crimes. Yun Young Choi a former senior counsel to Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco, will take the top job and will not only support ongoing investigations, but also try to help local law enforcement build cryptocurrency cases. During a conference in Munich this month, Monaco also announced that the FBI would be launching the Virtual Asset Exploitation Unit, which would also crack down on crypto criminals. Today's episode was produced by Sean Powers and Will Jarvis. It was edited by Karen Duffin, with fact-checking by Darren Ankrum. Ben Levingston composed our theme and original music for the episode, and we had additional music from Blue Dot Sessions. We want to give special thanks to the people behind the play, Is This a Room? Conceived of and directed by Tina Satter, Emily Davis plays reality winner, T.L. Thompson and Pete Simpson play the special agents. We used just a few snippets, the play itself is a 70-minute drama that stages the word-for-word transcript from the FBI's visit to Reality Winner's house on June 3rd, 2017. There's also a This American Life episode from March 2020 that'll give you a larger taste of it. Click Here is a production of The Record Media, and we want to hear from you. Please leave us a review and rating wherever you get your podcasts, and connect with us by email. Click here at recordedfuture.com or on our website at clickhearshow.com. I'm Dina Temple Raston. We'll be back on Tuesday.
1: Looking for more of the cybersecurity and intelligence coverage you get on ClickHear? Then check out our sister publication, The Record, from Recorded Future News. You'll get breaking cyber news from reporters in New York, Washington, London, and Kiev, among others. And you'll see for yourself why it attracts hundreds of thousands of page views every month. Just go to therecord.media.